this episode of the Trade Busters podcast, we're going to be going over the third and final piece of the Trinity system, the Vibranium Shield. Before we go on, just a quick disclaimer. I'm not a financial advisor, so everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be construed as investment advice. All right, so you guys finally made it this far, and we are at the final piece of the Trinity system. Now, I know you're thinking, what in the heck is up with this crazy name? So if you guys have been following me this far and you know, you know that the other two pieces of the Trinity system, the Theta engine and the bomb shelter, you know, those are always named based on what those strategies were specifically designed for and kind of the expectation of how they should perform. Right. And that's, of course, no exception with the vibranium shield. So the vibranium shield is basically a a financed supplemental hedge combo. And the name is, if you guys have watched Black Panther, it's um, the reference to this fictional metal that his armor is made out of. And this is a metal that has this kind of ability to absorb and store large amounts of energy. And then when he needs it, he can basically uh, release it all at once, right? Um, in like a form of an attack, for example. And that's kind of the idea behind how I feel um, the purpose of a supplemental hedge that's finances. Because if you finance it, it means, you know, under normal circumstances, when there isn't a crash or something, uh, there is no out-of-pocket cost to you, right? Because it's financed. And so really most of the time it's doing nothing. And so I kind of think of it as this is something that's uh, absorbing, you know, the kinetic energy or the volatility of, of the market. Obviously, that's not what it's really doing, but that's just sort of, kind of philosophically what I think of it as. And then when you need it, when there's a big crash, like a black swan event, that's when all of this sort of energy that's released and you get all the profit. So it's almost kind of like shifting the profits from all the other, you know, non-black swan years and sort of just absorbing everything. But you have this net zero effect. And then all of a sudden at once when the black swan happens, all of this profit comes rushing out. Right. So that's the reason behind the name. Now, I do want to point out something first. And, you know, I mentioned the word financed, right? So it implies that you're paying for this hedge because normally hedges have costs, right? And so you're financing means you're running something else to pay for the strategy. But, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, so he's trying to make a free hedge, right? And yes, and to one extent, that's the case. But you really need to get it, you know, in your head that there is no such thing as a free hedge because that is in fact the holy grail and this is not that okay so even if you know i don't want there to be any illusion that there is a, a you know risk-free or cost-free because where a cost doesn't always have to be financial it could be at the cost of some form of risk right so even if there's no out-of-pocket outlay per se there's always a risk somewhere and I want to first point out, you know, where that is, you know, by going over this episode first, because we're going to be going over the whole strategy and the ins and outs over about three episodes. And there's going to be an episode specifically on the mechanics of the financing portion, the mechanics of the hedging portion. But this episode, I really want to go over, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lay out the mechanics in simplistic terms because the actual entry mechanics are quite simple. But the truth of the matter is hedging is probably the most complicated and most difficult part 
of any kind of strategy, right? Hedging, it's it's messy. Even if you want to be mechanical, you really can't because crashes never happen the same way. All of these events are path dependent, and no matter how much you try to backtest or plan for these kind of events, you just can't because you're never going to know how these things will play out. So ultimately, you know, this thing, you know, all of my strategies up until now, right, the Theta Engine and the Bomb Shelter, those have been, you know, pretty much 100% mechanical, right? The Theta Engine, you, you enter a position, you set, a, you set a bracket and it's done, right? Now, yes, with the Bomb Shelter, you know, I just said that hedging is messy, right? But at least with the Bomb Shelter, here's the big difference. The Bomb Shelter was specifically designed for almost a binary type of event, right? If we wake up with a 20% gap down, things are going to be crazy. Volatility is going to be sky high and you hope to have a bunch of profits from a profit. Obviously, you just close it then. There is no deciding, right? You don't have to do any discretion, right? But with something like normal circumstances, even like a COVID type of crash, yes, there were some circuit breaker down days, but you know, there was the whole February, the first leg down in mid late February of 2020, and then a bunch of stuff happened, and then there was a leg down, a leg up, and then like the the Black Swan event with the gas prices, whatever. So even then, there wasn't just like a you wake up and it's down 20%. Like obviously, this is when you exit, right? Because as much as you prepare, and as as much as people like to say, oh, this was obviously the bottom or obviously what's going to go down nobody really knows so in the moment hedging is never going to be a perfect thing so i'm going to go over some of the high level results and show you that there is really a lot of discretion and risk and help you really just make an informed decision if you really even want to run this thing or not because this thing you know again it's just like the bomb shelter it's optional but it's all part of the trinity system because I've structured these strategies in a way to kind of work together and almost be modular pieces that play off one another and try to make them fit together and be usable as much as possible. But again, this Vibranium Shield hedge is definitely, you know, entry is mechanical, but exiting is anything but. So I kind of want to just lay out all the pieces, go over some high level results and let you decide for yourself. So I kind of told you about like what I'm contrasting with in terms of the bomb shelter, the, the binary nature versus this is meant for something that could hedge, you know, just your normal. I don't want to say normal, but just sell off of some magnitude, you know, 10 percent, 20 percent, whatever it is, but without like a true gap, so to speak. Right. And if you remember, if we, look, we talk about the theta engine itself, this is a core income strategy that's very mechanical. And outside of a true gap, right, you saw all the backtesting, all the longitudinal studies, it hits the target return, you know, over a long enough period of time, it's it's pretty much on track, right? But there's years that it's better and worse. And obviously the crash years, it's not so good, right? So I was trying to fill in the gap of those years um, where it didn't do so well. Like, remember, the bomb shelter wasn't even meant for necessarily the down years, right? The bomb shelter was meant for this kind of binary event that might never happen. So that was like a very specific niche, right? And so in the last episode with the bomb shelter review, we talked about the fact that there was these years where the market is down, the data engine is negative on the year, and the 
bomb shelter also didn't help, right? Those were income strategies down, hedges down. That's the so-called dead zone that I referred to. So I wanted to see if there's a way to make a hedge that's just a little bit more reactive, but still per, um, still keeps that convexity and trying to help out those years where the, you know, the theta engine strategy is down, but this thing will kind of kick in even if it doesn't blow up and give you huge profits, at least to have some profits to you know offset the drawdown or just make your return a little bit better, right? Kind of fill in those gaps. So, with that said, let's take a look at um, the strategy. So I have now put out a new uh, page, right? Because there was the one for the bomb shelter, there's the one for the data engine, there is now one for the vibranium shield. So there is at this moment in time so today is october 24th 2021 and for now i do have the mechanics tab on there it's not completely finished yet so i'll be filling in some details especially in the next episodes when i go into the specifics of the um, mechanics and there's gonna be a number of tabs for certain years you're gonna see 2007 2008 2014 2015 2018 and 2020 a total of six years and then there's a bunch of other tabs labeled LP and SP. And those are just like kind of logs from the back testing I did with the short put portion and the long put portion. And we can um, dive into those a little bit later. But first, a high level overview of the mechanics, right? So the vibranium shield, the hedge portion is basically a regularly entered suite of long puts. Right, they're going to be entered at 90 DTE, 1.5 delta long puts, and this can be any product SPY, SPX, ES, MES. It's just depending on, again, just per usual, depending on the budget, what's going to fit your account size. Okay, so the entry frequency, again, you can determine. Um, you know, I would prefer daily, but obviously, if your account's small and the budget's small, you may not even be able to get a long put for whatever that credit is or sorry debit so to speak um at a daily entry because what you're going to do is you're going to take your budget so let's say you take a three percent allocation and this arbitrary obviously just because you know we talk about the the biggest call letter for example at a three percent budget so if you have a three percent allocation you're basically going to take three percent of your total account and that's the budget so i'm going to use a rough example here if I have a million dollar Netlick, 3% is a $30,000 budget, right? And so if I'm entering daily, because um, there's only, it's going to be 252 entries a year because that's the number of trading days, right? So 30,000 divided by 252 is basically $119, right? That's kind of the budget per entry. Now, if I were going to do just again, just just to throw out a random number, we'll go over more details later. But if I were going to do a monthly entry, I'd have 12 entries a year. So that'd be two thousand five hundred dollars an entry. And based on the fixed number of entries, you're going to have a fixed number of tranches. So just know that this is a rolling entry of long puts. And the only other mechanic that's the regular one is you enter these and then you're going to close them at 30 days in trade. Right, so you're keeping basically fresh 90 DTE puts and never letting them get lower than 60 DTE. So it's sort of a, a rolling tranche approach that keeps 
fresh long puts at any one time. Again, I'll go over to the de and in details in the episode dedicated to long puts, but that's pretty much it for the long puts. And then to finance it, all you're gonna do is run um, a theta engine allocation with the target return equal to the budget, right? So if I'm gonna spend 3% on my long puts in a given year, I'm going to run the theta engine with a 3% target return, right? So 3%, 3%, your target is 0% spent, right? That's the financing. Now, the neat thing is with the Vibranium Shield, you can run it solo as basically just a supplemental hedge to whatever else you're running, right? To your stock portfolio or to some other strategy, some other long strategy or whatever, right? Or you can run it and, you know, solo as a just a downside lotto, right? So let's just say you had nothing you were hedging, so to speak, but you ran it with um, you know, 3% budget, but you finance it with 3%, so your spend is zero, but then on some crash year, you have a payout, right? That's your downside lotto. And the other thing is, if you are running the Theta engine already, the neat thing is you can basically just increase your um, Theta engine allocation or target return to cover whatever your budget on the long puts is. So let's say I'm already running the Theta engine to generate 10% you know, return on my account every year. But now I want to also spend 3% on long puts, but I want to finance it, right? So rather than a 10% target return on the Theta engine, you just raise your target return to 13%, right? And use the risk calculator. You have updated credit target and everything. But so you have a 13% target return, but 3% is spent on the puts. And so your net return on the Theta engine is your original 10%. So that's it, high level. Um, so not to skim over this too much because I'm going to focus on the specifics and the following episodes. But high level, that that's it in terms of the entry mechanics and the setup. Now, again, like I said, I want to go over really the results first because I think this will help you see the complexity of hedging and you can decide whether or not this is kind of worth the effort, right? So let's dive into, um, let's start with first the tab that is 2014. I think this will give a kind of a clear, we're gonna look over all of these, but 2014 is a little bit more, um, I guess it's just the, the patterns are a little bit more easy to, to see where the spikes are. So 2014, you'll see that there is two um, cells you can edit. One's called allocation, one's called monetization. Allocation is basically what we've already gone over. The percent you put in here is basically whatever percent you're gonna spend on long puts and whatever percent you're gonna you know, calibrate your theta engine to finance, right? So I'm gonna set it to 1% for now, just as a baseline. Obviously you can budget for whatever, but um, this will at least allow us to look at it on the same level. So before I talk about the monetization, the net return, you'll notice that each of these tabs has three graphs. There's one called Vibranium Shield net return. There's the hedge net return or net PNL, and then there's the finance campaign net PNL. So let's look at the bottom graph first, the finance campaign net PL. This is a fixed graph based on a back test of that year of the Theta engine. And this happened to be at 90 delta, uh, 90 DTE, 15 delta, 
same old um 60 max profit to 100 stop loss so it's pretty obvious to see that you can see the pl you know there's a little bit of dip in the beginning of the year and it climbs gradually through the late year through october and then there's a huge cliff right it goes all the way to negative and then kind of climbs back and has a dip so this in 2014 <laughs> i don't remember exactly what happened in late 2014 like december you can probably just look on yahoo or something but that huge cliff in late october was basically the flash crash that was the 2014 intraday flash crash and if you go back and look at all the longitudinal studies this wiped out the entire book right that's why there is this humongous loss so this graph the finance campaign you can see pretty clearly and it's kind of obvious to tell like what happened that year now the more interesting one is the middle one this is the hedge so this is a graph of that same scheme that i mentioned entering the long puts now in e-delta i used a daily entry just to kind of get more granularity on the graph but it was a daily entry 90 dte and then exiting at 60 dte which, which is my best uh, best approximation of, of keeping the puts on 30 dit but so one thing you'll note is and you know you can see that the pl gradually drops right to negative and this is as you would expect because when nothing's happening you're just losing a little bit on the puts every single year sorry uh, over the year and then in the flash crash you see this spike right now it immediately goes back down right and it just kind of continues that downtrend and then there's one more spike and again i forget what caused that at the end of the year but it goes down and you can see at the end of the year your net loss is 0.75 percent so the reason it's not quite one percent is because um i think uh this was a rolling strategy so at the end of the year not quite all of the puts had expired yet um just based on the timing of when i started entering this on the back test but will it this just sort of make it clear what zero percent monetization is zero percent monetization in this study is basically if you had done nothing did not lock in any profits not cash out anything just done nothing and you can see that the puts spike and then they go back and they basically just die out so here is the interesting part what i did and the purpose of these studies is to show you what if i had cashed out my hedge and when i try to come up with this study right i was really i was originally gonna just do like a manual back test and this is sort of a, a hybrid between a manual and an automated back test but remember you never really know in the future how a crash is going to happen so you have basically no chance in hell of cashing out at the peak for example right so you just really don't know and i wanted to give you guys a chance to look at what if i had cashed out you know 10 percent of the profits 20 percent 50 percent right or all of it <laughs> just for heck of it just to see so that is what the monetization percent input represents what I went, what I did was I took the trade log, and again, if you look at this hedge PNL, you can kind of trace from the peak to the trough or the trough to the peak, whichever way that, that is supposed to go. I looked at the two kind of spikes, and I calculated what the net unrealized PL of the hedge from those events. If you look in the logs, I call them like crash one and crash two. I approximated what the net PL would have been 
and I made it so that depending on the input of the monetization percent, it will actually add a certain amount of that unrealized PL into the graph. It's going to inject it so you can see what the hedge PL would have been approximately if you had been able to catch a certain percentage of the profit from those crashes. And now finally, the cool thing is the top graph, the vibranium shield net return, that is just a sum of the two graphs from below. So you can see um, if I increase and I'll just do just go all in, I'll go 100%, right? You'll see that the hedge PL graph, uh, whereas it used to just drop off after the spikes, it now stays up and then, you know, it keeps part of that profit, right? And you can see on the vibranium shield net return, it kind of props up the whole line. And in fact, it makes it above positive. It's not a lot positive. And that's kind of the one of the issues I want to get into. Um, but for now, just understand that's how these three graphs work. And I'm actually going to go back to 2007 first, and we'll come back and revisit 2014. And just so you know, these years that I picked, these were specifically kind of the quote unquote bad years or crash years or years where the base theta engine slash finance campaign didn't really do so hot because on the other years, as you would expect on the normal years when there's no crash event, your income strategy is doing fine, right? So you don't really need the hedge. So those years aren't so interesting. I'll touch on that in a little bit, but let's look at 2007. This is actually one of the trickiest years. So if you look at this graph, one thing I want to point out is again, so let's set the monetization at 0% and the allocation of 1%. If you look at the hedge PL graph, you can see that it's a slight dip, right? It's slowly losing money. I mean, there's obviously a crash right around February, but it's slowly losing money in the first couple of months of the year. If you look at the finance campaign graph, it's slowly gaining money, right? From, you know, January through late February. And here's the cool thing to show you that this thing is really working. If you look at the top graph, the vibranium shield net return, it's basically like a straight line, right? It's going nowhere. And that's that thing look you know, that's beautiful. That's exactly what this combo is supposed to do when nothing much is going on, right? It's supposed to be, it's showing you that the financing of this is perfectly covering the drag that you're paying for the hedges. So here is, um, you can see there's kind of three distinct spikes in this year. Um, there's one in March, there's one around uh, mid-August and then there's one in mid-November and this year in 2014 um, you can see that I mean that's clearly reflected in the the finance campaign PNL because you can see three kind of distinct drop-offs and this thing is actually honestly one of the more interesting studies I've, I've made and it's kind of cool because the the finance campaign is sort of a proxy for the market right because obviously with the short puts it's uh, correlated to the market and then the hedge PNL is sort of a proxy for volatility, right? Because these are long puts. And so you can kind of see that these two are the inverse of each other. When the hedge goes up, the finance goes down and vice versa. And so again, that's just kind of a neat thing uh, about this. But with 
let's look at the actual PL. If you don't monetize any of the hedge, right? So the hedge is down 0.4% that year. The finance campaign is down. I'm just looking at the very end of the graph. It's down about 0.16. So that the combo is down 0.58. So what does that mean? That means if you were to run the vibranium shield at a 1% allocation, meaning you're trying to spend a percent per year on, on the long puts and you're trying to finance it with 1% target return for the, um, the theta engine, and you just happen to fall asleep and don't monetize anything, you'll see the net return negative 0.58%. And this is, this is the risk with running something like the vibranium show. This is where it comes back to like, when people say there's a free hedge, no, there isn't, right? There is times when both things lose. Now, yes, I haven't done any monetization yet, but I just wanna let you know what this, what you're looking at and what this represents. So if I were to spend 1%, Per month rolling these long puts or sorry one percent per year and try to finance it with something like the theta engine in 2007 you basically would have lost right this actually would have added to the loss or the drawdown or to whatever else you were running so one thing i want to figure out is like so how much do we need to monetize because remember you don't you can't expect to catch perfectly the peak of all these crashes so, you know, if you, you can play around with this, right, I'm going to increase the allocation, sorry, the monetization 10%, 20%, 30%. And you guys can do this. You can see the hedge PL start to rise and it's starting to prop up the net return of the Vibranium Shield net return. Right now, if I remember correctly, 2007 needed, uh, yes, so you need to basically 80% monetization just to not lose money. One of the goals for running and designing the strategy because if you're going to hedge you don't want the hedge to actually hurt you right you don't want it to actually just cause more losses but that's always going to be the risk if you're financing because what is financing you just take on another risk you're just running another income strategy so in 2007 basically unless you got lucky or yeah, really, it's luck. There's no skill here. If you got lucky enough to catch and cash out most of the profit from the, the hedge, you could at least scratch, right? You're not even making a profit. Um, you're just scratching on this combo. And for me, that's okay. Again, you just want to do no harm. But why did this happen, right? Why was this year so tough? Basically, in 2007, um, again, I didn't really trade through those years, but looking at the way volatility, you know, didn't really pop. And you can see, you know, because this is this is real world data, right? You can see that um, in March when there was a sell off. Yes, there was kind of like a spike in volatility. So there was a decent amount of profit to be gained from the hedge there. But looking at kind of the mid August, early September, there was a pretty big I guess there was a pretty big sell off, right? Because you lost like it was probably a full book wipe on on the data engine portion but volatility barely popped right and so that second i call it crash one crash two crash three in the log but the second one really wasn't a crash and it was in november when you had another leg down and that probably wiped out another half of your book that was when volatility kind of popped again right but this kind of late uh, early fall area where you see the market sell off when but volatility didn't really pop 
that's what creates these dead zones. So you can imagine during that second leg down in the middle of the year, all the losses from your theta engine and the, the entries you were getting stopped out, those were likely from kind of delta or gamma exposure, not so much vega, right? Because the long puts just weren't activating. And I think when I go back to the trade log, I was seeing that you had a lot of entries were, which were pretty much getting stopped very late in the cycle. Um, so there was this sort of this long grind down that finally just stopped out a bunch of entries, but volatility just wasn't picking up. So that is always the risk when you're trying to trade these kind of hedges, which are really low, um, low delta, right? You need a big move to really make them pop. And this year it just didn't happen. So 2007 is basically one of the tough years. So let's go to 2008. This one is not so interesting because 2008, the, the really mega, mega blacks one years, it's like it's pretty much a given. Um, so I'll set this to again 1% allocation, 0% monetization. Zero just for context is I think this year, pretty much no matter what you did, you're going to cash something out because it's such a big crash. Um, you can see the finance campaign lost about 0.92%. If you don't monetize anything, obviously you look at the graph, there's a huge spike, everything bleeds out, and the hedge is negative. 0.4, which is why you have a negative 1.33% loss. But again, that's really not practical. In 2008, things were going crazy. You were definitely going to try to cash out something at some point. Um, so again, with this kind of study, I wanted to sort of establish kind of the minimum baseline to like, what did I need just to not lose money on this combo? So if I up the allocation to 20%, let's do 30 yeah, so 30% uh, monetization would basically get you a scratch, right? But that year, there was such a big drop and, and volatility spiked so much. You can imagine, you know, even trying to catch half of that 60% is probably reasonable, definitely not 100. But for example, if we were to cash out 50%, um, so you would make about 0.8% return per 1% allocation, right? So this is actually finally seeing kind of like a net positive return. So meaning if you ran the vibranium shield at a 3% allocation, so I'll do 3% and cashed out 50%, you would basically add 2.4% to the bottom line of your return. Now, that doesn't look super great. Um, I will say one thing, Remember, this is me trying to make a simulation out of static data. So there is some, I will say this, uh, the way I was doing it is probably a little bit conservative on the profits. So in reality, I'm pretty sure you would have made a little bit more, probably closer to like, mm, just kind of looking at the peak of the crash here, probably more like five or six, maybe even 7%. Um, return. So again, not like a huge amount, but remember with these things, you never expect, you, know, you never really predict what's going to happen exactly. So to make anything back on your account, so let's say you had a, your account had a, you know, 20% drawdown and you were to able to make 7% back or 8% back. That's almost cutting your drawdown in half, right? So the idea is you just have to have kind of have like realistic expectations on these. And that's why at least with this sheet, the way it's set up, and the way you can kind of play with the numbers, you can get some context just to see like what it takes to actually make money with a financed hedge. Um, 2014, we talked about earlier, 
Um, the only thing I'll add is that just this year, if you look at that flash crash, yes, it was an intraday flash crash, but I suspect because it happened so fast, volatility didn't have that much. Um, it didn't expand that much, which is why like you lost a whole book in the finance campaign, which is why you just had such a big loss. But even at the peak volatility, so if I set this thing to 100% monetization, it's still barely making my net return a scratch. So I think, again, it's kind of interesting to see these things play out in real life that like, if you go back and imagine, oh, if this, if this flash crash happened, would I have made a bunch of money <laughs> if I had been hedging? And this kind of shows that no, you really wouldn't. So and 2014 was kind of a weird year anyways, because I think this kind of like 20% drop in 12 minutes or whatever it was, I mean, it's not really supposed to be possible anymore anyways. So I wouldn't put too much weight on this year's results, but you know, I had to hear it just for context and just kind of curiosity's sake. Um, the rest of these, we can move on pretty quickly because you kind of know how these things work now. 2015, um, pretty obvious one. There was a huge drop in the late summer, August 24th. Um, there was like a two really big down days for like a third day that gapped down 5%. So volatility had a huge spike. Um, this year was interesting because if you look at the finance campaign, even though it had a pretty big drop mid-year, it still actually ended up positive for the year. So this year, if you practically didn't monetize anything, in fact, I have it set at zero right now, um, it's about a scratch. So if you're able to capture any of the hedge profits, you're good for the year. This combo actually made money, right? So I'll just set it at 50%, for example, and it made about 0.65%. So for if you captured any of that, half of it, you're going to make, you know, 0.65% return net on this combo for every kind of 1% allocation you are doing for the for the hedge. Uh, 2018, this was, again, a tough year. If you guys remember, there was the Vomageddon event in early February, and then that grind down in Q4 that was really annoying. A lot of people had, uh, it was causing losses, but, you know, hedges just weren't really activating. And again, this is... 2007 and 2018 ultimately were, I guess, kind of the what I actually considered the black swans in terms of hedging, because these were years where you were probably losing on your income strategies, and but the hedges just didn't really do much. Looking at the graph, you can see Vomageddon definitely had a peak. Um, so that helps if you were able to catch it, because that was a pretty fast event and VIX went to 50 for like one day. Um, so again, unless you're doing something automated, like you may not even have a chance to catch much of that spike, right? But the grind down that started in, let's see here, early October, the first leg down, if you look at the finance campaign graph, a huge plateau, but VIX, right? I mean, not VIX, but the hedge PNL barely picked up, right? And he had another huge leg down in late December or early to mid-December and then the volatility picked up but again that year it just wasn't that much I remember all the way from early to mid you know right around Christmas Eve you know volatility was like barely going up it was VIX was going to like I think it peaked at like 38 or something it didn't even break 40 so and I did have other hedges you know I was using the black swan hedge back then for example and it just it just wasn't really doing much so this was a really tough year um, and again, this sh I'll let you guys play around with this to take a look, but let me just see what it would take to at least break even that year. 
Yeah, 60%. You had to monetize 60% of all of the crashes to just not lose money. So again, very tough year. And I see this year and 2007 as kind of the real risk to running something like the Vibranium Shield because you're just going to most likely end up doing a little bit of harm to yourself rather than good, right? Trying to have this hedge that just doesn't work on those two years. And lastly, and honestly, the least interesting one is 2020 because um, this was really a gimme year. If you look at 2020, it was such a fast crash. Um, and actually, the finance campaign ended up quite positive that year. And the hedge PNL, again, if you set it at 0% monetization, you obviously see a huge spike and it just drops down to like negative 0.7. And if you monetize any of that, you're going to be positive. So this was kind of a weird year where like, even if you didn't hedge or didn't cash out any of it, just, just that extra allocation on the vibranium shield, the finance portion, by some miracle ended up positive, right? So just to run one for the heck of it. So right now at 1% allocation, if you monetize even half of the hedge profits, right? You got 3%, 2.9, so 3% profit Right, so if you ran a three percent allocation on the vibranium shield and monetize even half, you're adding eight point seven or almost nine. Again, this is thing is conservative, so honestly, I would say you're probably adding almost maybe ten, twelve percent to your bottom line to whatever else you're running. So, again, I think the the super crash black swan years honestly aren't that interesting because we know if you're buying long puts or teenies to hedge they're gonna hedge right on a crash year they're gonna hedge so really the challenge is seeing on the not so crash years and just the other years what exactly is the trade-off where is the risk now last note before i let you go i know this episode is pretty darn long what happened on those other years where there's no crash right that this outside of the six years i focused on in this set of spreadsheets so if you go to the bomb shelter page because that has the longitudinal study for the the 90TT Theta engine. So I'm looking at this because, again, the Theta engine is the core component that actually finances the long puts. So I have this set at a 1% target return. I just want to show you what would have happened to the finance portion on those years, right? So 1% allocation means I'm spending 1% per year on the long puts. That's my expected loss. And I'm trying to finance it with 1% return on the Theta engine. So in 2005, you would have had a 1.7% positive return on just the Theta engine, meaning if you subtract out the 1% you spent on longs, you have 0.7% surplus, right? It actually made an extra net return. So rather than just, you've essentially overfinanced the hedge and actually made more return. So that again, those are those years are gimmies, right? Those are just, you're just making more profit. So not really that interesting, but I just want to give you the numbers. 2006, 1.4% return. So Net, net surplus of 0.4, um, 07, 08, we talked about 2009, 1.7%. So net surplus of 0.7, right, per 1% allocation. So if it means you have, a, if you had a 3% allocation, you'd have a net surplus of 2.1%. So that, all that's just extra return on, on top of whatever else you're doing. 2010, 1.2, which is a surplus, 2011, 1.1. And you, so basically you can go to the bomb shelter page, pop in a return, and any return on that year over the target, that's essentially the surplus, right? Because that's above and beyond whatever costs you need to um, pay for the hedge that you're paying, for, that you're buying during that year. 
So I think I should leave it here. I know where are we? This is a really long episode because again, I will follow up with two episodes, one on the hedging, more specifics on, you know, the, the nuances of buying the hedges and one on the nuances of using the theta engine to pair up and finance it. But again, I wanted to go over these spreadsheets and these studies because there's a lot of nuance and really to help set the stage and give you the context of what exactly you're even going to be looking to do with this if you decide to run it and what the expectations are and what the biggest challenges are. Again, 2007, 2018. You need to look at those two and understand what the implications are if the hedge doesn't work and you have losses on the finance portion. And then the mega black swan year is 2008, 2020. Those are basically gimmies. 2015 is basically a gimme as one. 2014, kind of interesting to look at, but I don't put too much weight there because again, that, that flash crash is really not something we should expect. Not in that way anyways. So anyways, let's, let's leave it there. Um, as always, if you guys enjoyed this episode, Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's available on most of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also find more of my content on my trading page at www.thetradebusters.com, where you can find all of my strategy mechanics and trade logs, as well as essays I've written and other podcasts I recommend. Finally, you can follow me on Twitter at The Trade Buster. That's it for today. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.